Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Bill Riley, he is the voice of Utah Athletics. He hosts his own show, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. I go on his show all the time. He's the guy. He's the guy. If you want to talk Utah, you want to talk Salt Lake City, you want to talk Utes, Bill Riley is the guy. Let's start uh, with the atmosphere. 11 a.m. Pacific time kickoff, noon in Salt Lake City, Bill. What are the Beavers walking into tomorrow? I, I think they're going to be walking into a good atmosphere. I don't think it's going to quite be like what the Ducks walked into last year, John, because it's a day game. And but I, but I think it's going to have its homecoming here. It's supposed to be a perfect day. It'll be 65 at kickoff. Beautiful sunny skies. Uh, you'll be here tomorrow. I I think it's just going to be a great day for football. And I think Utah's up for this game. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk this week around the team about what happened last year in Corvallis, where they blew a halftime lead. Their, their special teams uh, went Oregon State back in the game, and then the then the, then the, the Beavers gashed them for 260 yards. Uh, that happens every blue moon to a Kyle Whittingham defense, but doesn't happen very often. And the coach and a lot of the guys that were on the field last year remember that. And but they also know Oregon State's good. I mean, they they know they saw what happened last week against USC. So they, they, this is not going to be some sort of a cakewalk. But I think that they remember. And it's a little bit of a motivator what happened a year ago. Give us an idea because every season's different. You get some different personnel. Obviously, there's no Devin Lloyd on that defense for Utah. But when you, you know, this year's team, the identity of this team, has it figured out who it is and what it wants to do? Yeah, defensively, it took them a game. They had some new faces, as you mentioned, Devin's in the NFL now. They had some struggles against Florida in that first game. But once they got that game behind them, they've been been really good. Um... Linebacker Kareni Reed, he's the younger brother of Gabe Reed, who transferred in from Stanford. Both those guys are on the field together. Junior Tafuna's playing well up front. You know, the funny thing is, the strength of this defense might be the secondary, John, but we haven't seen him play anybody who throws the football on a regular basis yet. That'll come in the weeks to come with SC and, and UCLA and some schools, but everybody they've played have been run-oriented teams, including you know, the Beavs coming up tomorrow. But they, they've gotten back to who they are. But that being said, Oregon State's going to be the biggest challenge they've had. I mean, San Diego State's solid. Um, Arizona State, they're down. They, they, they run it pretty well, but they're down. We know that that, that program's in trouble right now. So I, I think they've, they've, they've had some time against some lesser opponents to work the kinks out to get to where they needed to be. But, but, but the game Saturday, especially for the defense, is going to be the biggest challenge they face yet. Yeah, I, I keep thinking back to week one. It was so disappointing to see the Oregon loss to Georgia, the way that went. And then I, I picked Utah to win at Florida. I felt good about them being down there. I know we talked that week. What happened in that week one game, and what has Utah learned from that game? Well, what happened was they, they, they cost themselves in short yardage. I mean, they had a couple of cracks at the end zone. I, you know, Not to be a, a guy that looks back, Cam Rising probably got in on one of the plays that wasn't reviewed. Uh, Tavion Thomas got stopped on the goal line, so that hurt them. Um, they weren't really able to contain. It's funny because he looked like a Heisman Trophy contender after week one. He's looked anything but since then. But Anthony Richardson, 
you know, they, they kind of had it. It's funny. There have been comparisons between the Florida game this year and the Oregon State game a year ago, the way the defense played. They just weren't fitting together. But the fact of the matter is, John, you know, they get to the five-yard line with three plays, and Rising tried to force that ball into Dalton Kincaid, who slipped and fell on his turn, and it got intercepted. As much as anything else, you thought was its own worst enemy in that Florida game. They probably should have won it, even allowing Florida to run the way they did. So after the Florida loss, they basically said, all right, guys, we don't have any margin for error now if we really want to achieve some of the goals we talked about. And that was to win the Pac-12 championship again, but also perhaps take that next step. They're not out of the playoff pick yet. Another loss would certainly take them out of it. But if they run the table in the Pac-12 conference, which is a possibility, they can still kind of hit that particular. My, yeah, Utah's still my pick. Uh, for people tuning in, Bill Riley, ESPN 700, is with us. Uh, he is the voice of Utah Athletics. Uh, how much rubbernecking is going on with USC by Utah fans? Like, you know, did they tune into the Oregon State game to, to watch USC last week? Well, I think those that have the Pac-12 network certainly did. I had a little bit of an eye on it from the press box in Tempe last weekend, too. And I'll be honest, John, 17-14 is what I was expecting, like, midway through the second quarter of that game, not for the final four. So I was I was really impressed, you know, and I've only seen really highlights. I haven't had a chance to go back and watch the game. But, I, you know, with the Beaver defense, I mean, USC looked like the greatest show on turf for the first three weeks of the season. And the Beavs basically hold them under double digits or two double digits through almost four quarters, and they get that late touchdown. So I think people here are taking notice of USC and kind of following them. And I think last week was a little – I think it was a little bit of a wake-up call for everybody. I think you said the same thing, too. You know, USC still very good, but, you know, maybe they're a little bit more human than we were giving them credit for the first couple of weeks. Yeah, amen to that. Bill Riley with us, ESPN 700, Salt Lake City. I want to pivot to the Pac-12 conference. You know, we talk a lot about it on this show. I know you're tuned into it. You know, we had the gloom and doom report from CBS Sports earlier in the week. You know, the, the imminent demise of the Pac-12 conference. How did that float? How did that go over in Salt Lake City with your audience? Well, I mean, everybody takes notice of that stuff. I think, John, people just assume that when a national reporter that has a national platform reports something, that it's spot on from an accuracy standpoint. And, and I know the reporter who, who reported it. I like him a lot. He's a guest on my show sometimes. But but to me, I just I, – I didn't – I didn't connect. It didn't connect for me, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? It's yes. Just, there, were, there were some things missing, and it kind of felt like some of the same stories we've seen reported nationally, not just by that outlet, but, but by some of the other outlets, too. And my stance has been throughout, and I told my listeners, you know, nobody is leaving the Pac-12 conference until they are given a final pitch and proposal from their commissioner. Nobody is leaving until they know what the offer is from whatever the media rights partners are, and Amazon and ESPN, who I think those are probably the two leaders. I'm not sure if Fox is part of this. It would kind of feel weird since they staged the coup this summer if they were indeed a partner. But anyway, maybe they are. Who knows? It's business at the end of the day. Cleopop said that too. But my, my point to my listeners has been, hey, you can read that stuff all you want. But, but look at where the, the information's coming from and always go back to who benefits from a story like this. And clearly the Big 12 does because somebody's trying to seed the, sow the seeds of discord and disarray and cause some chaos and get people talking. But as I told the listeners here in Salt Lake City and across the state of Utah, 
I just don't see anything happening, John, until Klyovkov comes back and make his, makes his pitch. And as long as that pitch is reasonable, as long as that meteorite deal is reasonable for the next four to five years, I just don't see this conference breaking up into the wind because there's still an uncertainty of what the Big 12 deal is going to be. Because let's remember, the Pac-12 is losing UCLA and USC. The Big 12 is losing two bigger brands. Texas and Oklahoma together are a much bigger loss than UCLA and USC are. Because if you look at the Big 12 right now, they don't have a brand. There's not a brand school for football in that conference right now with those two schools leaving. The Pac-12 still has Oregon and Washington. Now, they're not brands like USC or Oklahoma or Texas, but they're brands. And Utah's a recent brand, so at least the Pac-12 has that. The Big 12's got lots of good basketball schools, but they don't have any football schools when Oklahoma and Texas, and Texas leave. So I just think it's so premature to make any of these conjectures, you know, all this conjecture, until we see what the deal is that Cleopatra brings back to the schools. Bill, you know, Utah's a great example of what a Mountain West Conference school can do when it's elevating into the Power Five. They have, you know, landed and hit the ground running. It is... Is it possible that Utah's an outlier, or could UNLV, San Diego State, Fresno State, Boise State, do you see any similarities to what Utah was with those with that pool, or is there one or two in there that you think, hey, maybe they could make the step? I think of those, those you mentioned, I think San Diego State is the best choice. They've been excellent in football and basketball. In fact, I, I was reading their media notes a couple of weeks ago when they came here they've got the second best combined football basketball men's basketball record in the country over like the last six years they've been really really good and they compete against the big boys i think they've got a seven and four record against the pac-12 conference in the last six years too so i i think if you're looking at those obviously unlv is a market certainly works but, but I've lived in this part of the country, the Mountain West, now Pac-12 landscape, for 21 years. UNLV has been, at the very best, average, and at the worst, abysmal in football for 21 years. And in basketball, they've been good, but they haven't been great. The run and rebels years of Jerry Tarkanian haven't resurfaced. So I, if I was choosing between the three, I think San Diego State would be the one for me. The one you didn't mention is SMU. I would actually like the Ponies a little bit more than even Fresno and, and UNLV. The market of Dallas, they've got good athletics, football and basketball, some decent tradition too. So if I was doing two, I'd look at San Diego State and maybe SMU. But if I was only doing one, it would most certainly be San Diego State. Yeah, I think the the short-term plan is going to be, they. I think they want to see what the UC regents do to UCLA. And is there, a, is there a pipe dream chance that UCLA reverses course and comes back and if they do you just add san diego state and you call it good but if they add smu bill do they have to look at adding rice university of texas san antonio do they have to you know tulane do they have to give smu a travel partner or could you pull that off and just go look everybody in the pac-12 gets to recruit texas now yeah i think that's what you do i just rice would bring nothing and it's a tiny small school they're not good in basketball they're not good in football they're decent in baseball I think you just say, hey, if you guys want to do this, we're happy to have you, but you're going to be the easternmost school in our footprint. We've got the mountains covered with Utah, um, you know, and then, and then we're a West Coast. So if you want to do it, we want you in here. But I, I'm not sure I would add a travel partner like a UTSA or even a Rice. 
this season is interesting. Utah made the Rose Bowl, won the conference championship last year. Feels like there was some unfinished business. That's what people were saying. Is it a return to Vegas or bust for this season? Uh, meaning, if the Utes don't get back to the title, it be a monumental disappointment this year? Yes, it will. It, it, it absolutely will. They brought back their all-conference quarterback. They brought back 16 starters on the football team. They, this is a in there. There's so much. There's more talent in this program, John, than there's ever been, top to bottom. The coaching staff was intact. Um, yeah, if they, I, I would say that. And we asked this question on my radio show before the year. You know, what's what constitutes a good season for Utah? And some people said playoffs. Some people said Rose Bowl. But I, I think the very bare minimum is getting back to Vegas and playing in the Pac-12 championship game. All right, let's pivot again back to Saturday's game. By the way, how is a day game crowd different at Rice Eccles than maybe a 7.30 p.m. crowd? Because I well, don't I think it's, Yeah, go ahead. I think it's like most places. I mean, you just you haven't had as much time to kind of get yourself in the mood, if you will. The tailgate, you know, tailgating at 7 a.m. is not quite the same as starting your tailgate at 11 for an 8 o'clock kick. So um, students probably dive quite as, uh, is, as in gear as they would for a later-in-the-day kick. So I, I just think it's, it's going to be a great crowd. It's going to be a great day. They'll sell out. They'll be there. But it, you're just, it's going to take you a minute to kind of get into full throat and be in the mode where when it's at 8 o'clock, you've kind of had all day long to build toward it. Is there any shot Utah looks past Oregon State, or does the loss last year sort of eliminate that possibility? There's not a chance. Uh, not a chance. I mean, if, if Oregon State wins tomorrow, I don't think it's going to be because Utah looked past them. The loss last year, plus the start this year. I mean, they're, 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 they're three wins plus a whisker away from beating SC last weekend. Now, if they got their doors blown off by SC last weekend, maybe you can say that. Maybe people would say, well, Fresno ain't very good. That was a lucky win on the road. Boise certainly ain't very good. But they beat those teams, and they darn near beat, beat USC. I think the combination of the loss last year and, and what, what, what Oregon State's done, especially last week against SC, because let's be fair, you know this, in the Pac-12, when somebody plays SC, everybody's kind of peeking over and taking a look at it. And when you play SC close or you beat SC, that makes news. So I, I don't think there's going to be a look past factor anymore. I appreciate that. Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Uh, before you go, Cam Rising, yeah, you know, he had kind of a bad moment in that opening week, but he has been so good for so long. Wh what level is he playing at right now? I think he's beginning. I don't think he's quite back to where he was mid to late last season, John, but I think he's getting close. It was about this time last year that the Utah offense really began to gel and take off. Now, it's going to be interesting. His favorite target is Frank Keefe. And you, the news around the conference this week was Keithy Torres ACL last week against um, against ASU. So it'll be interesting to see how Utah and Rising go because those two tight ends and Keithy was a little bit of a wide receiver too were Rising's favorite targets. So it'll be interesting to see without Keithy out there how he plays. But Cam's beginning to get into that rhythm and putting up those real efficient numbers. And he's getting, I think he's just on the precipice of getting back to where he was at the end of last year. Bill Riley, ESPN 700, thank you. Good follow on Twitter. You should be following him. I appreciate you, man. Uh, I will see you in the press box. Thanks, John. Love that interview with Bill Riley, ESPN 700, Salt Lake City. We got the flavor of the game.
Oregon State going to Utah tomorrow. 11 a.m. Pacific time kickoff. The Ducks will kick off at 8 p.m. So you got some time in between those two games. How will you spend it? Well, that's up to you. But I can uh, tell you, you could spend it by listening to a podcast of this radio show. Maybe on your drive, if you're going down to Eugene, put on a podcast of the show. Or if you're mowing the lawn, you're out in the yard, you're at a sporting event, a youth sporting event, grab the podcast, stick it in your ear. You can do that. Coming up, our five at five. Anna will join me. We'll talk about that. Plus, I had a youth, I had a brush with youth sports coaching yesterday. I'll talk about it in the five o'clock hour. It's the happy hour. Plus, what's on tap, what you should be watching again. All of that's still ahead, right here on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio show. Thanks for listening.